What's up, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can help this show to grow while also getting access to our exclusive Pride content, which includes shows like Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, Special Interviews, Lions of Liberty Roundtables, and much, much more. So check that out. Help us grow at lionsofliberty.com forward slash support. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, Felony Friday is your weekly look at the broken criminal justice system. This is only one of three shows that we have here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, we kick off every single week on Monday with Mark Clare, where Mark interviews leaders in the liberty movement. Also, from time to time, he'll host some roundtable discussions, our very popular libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor. And on Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land, hosted by the always funny and wacky and crazy and angry Brian McWilliams, a very entertaining show, a weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty. You can get all three of these shows delivered to your phone. I assume most people use their phone to listen. This is 2018. If you're listening on a computer, that's fine. That's great. We love to have you listening. But if you listen on a phone, go ahead and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or whatever host of podcasting, whatever host of pod catchers, I think they're called, are out there today. Just subscribe so you make sure you get all three of these shows in your feed every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And of course, if you want more content than that, you can always join the Lions of Liberty Pride where we have our bonus episodes and many more giveaways that I will talk about at the end of the show after today's interview. And you can join the Lions of Liberty Pride by going to lionsofliberty.com slash support. Today's episode of Felony Friday is a crazy story. It's another interview with a felon, another interview who has experienced injustice in the criminal justice system. And I'll introduce my guest in a minute here. Before I do that, this is episode 116 of Felony Friday. That means you'll be able to find the show notes at lionsofliberty.com slash FF116. Just one more note before we get started here. I want to tell you about the sponsor for today's show. Today's episode is sponsored by Dan Wise and his team of prison consultants. Dan goes by the name RDAP Dan on YouTube. He has a very successful and informative YouTube channel, but he's also an excellent prison consultant. And if you or someone you know is facing the potential of going to prison, um, or if they've already been sentenced and they're waiting around putting together their pre-sentencing report, you need to reach out. You need to contact Dan Wise because facing a federal case, it's crazy. It's a crazy time, confusing time. You don't know which way is up or down. Most people don't. And that's the way it's designed. It's designed that your back is against the wall. They basically have you in a situation where you're screwed unless you contact a prison consultant who knows what he's talking about, can help you qualify for sentence reduction programs, can help you avoid common mistakes that can zap your chances of an early release, and they can help you keep a handle on that anxiety, keep you under control, help you do things like get your life organized uh, if you have kids or, or family so they're all set up so when you go into prison, they'll be fine. And you can set up a, a free 
100% free consultation with Dan and his team by visiting lionsofliberty.com slash RDAP. Also have links to his YouTube videos there. Check it all out. Dan is an awesome guy. That's lionsofliberty.com slash R-D-A-P. My guest today on Felony Friday is Sarah Brady Wagner. Seven years ago, Sarah was arrested for giving someone Adderall. She gave someone Adderall during finals week. I know, the humanity. Back then, Sarah was a, a college student, an 18-year-old college, college student. And this incident, this arrest, led to her being convicted in 2012. And she actually spent time in jail from November 2012 until March 2013. And this occurred when Sarah was in school at George Mason University in Virginia. Since that time, luckily, Sarah has been able to get her voting rights restored in Virginia. She's going to try to request a pardon, but it looks like that violent felony is going to stay on her record. There's no way to get that expunged. And we're going to talk through all this. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on Felony Friday. Well, thank you for having me. Sarah, when you first contacted me and you told me this story, Going to prison for Adderall. I mean, it's hard to even hard to even wrap your mind around that. But that's where we are with this ridiculous, ridiculous criminal justice system that we have today in this country. And I want to talk about all of that and how that went down and just how crazy it was for you. Before we do that, if you can kind of paint the picture, set the stage. You know, what was your life like prior to this uh, this arrest and this conviction? What well, you were in college, right? Yes. So I was a student at George Mason. I was actually a junior when I was 18 because I started, I started college when I was 16, but I went to community college for two years and then transferred to George Mason. At the time I was working also about 30 hours a week at the time as a nanny for a severely autistic boy. Um, I had worked as a nanny since I was 16. It's actually still my career now, which was an interesting um, hurdle to get through. Can you take us through, you know, the exact transaction or whatever it was, what happened? You gave a friend or you gave someone Adderall. How did this end up getting to the point where police became involved? So I will admit that um, in addition to being a student and working as a nanny, uh, I did what a lot of college students do, and uh, I like to smoke marijuana from time to time. So the person that uh, I ended up getting arrested because of my involvement with was kind of my backup guy. You know, the guy that when you want to get something and your regular guy doesn't have anything, he's the other guy of the two people that you know who can get you marijuana. I, I mean, this is, this is how hardcore I was in college. So during finals week, um, my backup guy, who was also a cheerleader at the time, uh, he asked me if I could get him some Adderall. And being an nice person. I wasn't genuinely not thinking too much of it. I understand it's a much more serious thing now. I said, sure. And there were two occasions in which I gave this person uh, some of my Adderall that I had a valid prescription for. The second time that I went to meet up with this person, I got arrested. And it, it just happened as suddenly as that. The, an officer showed up and flashed his badge and said, let's not make a scene. You're under arrest. And handcuffed me and walked me uh, off campus. He actually actually arrested me at school. So was it your Adderall prescription? It was. So it was, um, I didn't take it every single day. So in a month's supply, I might have a couple of them left over. 
And this is a, a hot commodity on college campuses during finals. Oh, yeah. I went to college and I can attest <laughs> that it was it was everywhere. I mean, everyone was taking Adderall or Concerta or whatever the other generic kinds are. It was all over the place. Yeah. Lots of Adderall, lots of Ritalin. So what, what happens next? I mean, I'm sure once this happened, it probably scared the crap out of you. Um, I don't think you th- knew or thought that it could get to the point at least at that point, if you knew or thought that it could get to the point that you could end up in jail. But so what, what, what happens immediately after you're taken out on the station and booked? Walk us through that. Um, so a lot of it, a lot of it was difficult to remember because at the time I was um, going through a lot of issues with, I mean, I wasn't in a great relationship. And so I was having a lot of like anxiety and depression issues and I was prone to panic attacks at the time. So I ended up having a panic attack while I was being arrested. Um, and, and that was an interesting experience in and of itself because I had my medicine, but they wouldn't give me access to it. So I had um, on me some benzodiazepines. I don't remember specifically what it was, but I had a prescription that was for me uh, for to be taken as needed for panic attacks. And when I had a panic attack because I was being arrested, the officers who arrested me would not allow me access to my medicine. So I understand you, you don't remember everything, and, and that's fine. Did you have to spend time, like a night in jail? I did. The first time I spent an afternoon in jail, I was able to get a hold of um, my boyfriend at the time and my father, and they were able to come and bail me out. It ended up being my bail was that so I was charged with possession with the intent to distribute of a Schedule II substance and possession with the intent to distribute of a Schedule II substance on public school grounds. And for that, I got a $5,000 bond. And so they had to bring um, $500 to come and get me out. And then from there, you just are faced with this sudden situation that you'd never had considered before of, okay, well, I, I guess I have to find a lawyer. I guess at that point, you, you realize it's a criminal issue, right? You find you find your lawyer. Did you ever imagine that it wouldn't be just like, uh, you know, maybe pay a fine and some community service? Did you? At what point did you... I did. I did. Actually, for the majority of... Um, uh, the majority of the time I was not only did I believe that, you know, this would be something that if I, if I was honest, if I worked, you know, if I worked with everyone who was involved and I didn't lie and I, you know, I just tried to be as upfront as possible that they would see that I wasn't a bad person and they wouldn't, you know, jail was the last thing like that, that won't happen if I just show that I'm not the kind of person that needs to be thrown in jail. And everybody that I talked to, including the lawyers, um, that I had talked to said, you know, that that's, that's realistically not a, not something that I have to worry about. Um, I had recommendations of, of good character from everyone, including, um, the, the father of the child that I was a nanny for who I still maintained my job throughout, um, because he too was kind of confused by the severity of the situation and nobody really had an, a concept of, well, this is something that you could just go to jail for. Um, it, it was always an idea of, well, yes, it's going to be severe. Yes, this is serious. Um, but if you're well-meaning, then the system won't hurt you. So what ended up pushing this to a point where you went to jail? Was it the judge that was pushing for this sentence? Was it a particularly uh, harsh prosecutor that was asking for this sentence? Uh, a combination of both? Um, I think in retrospect, I think it was the, the pre-sentencing report. So one of the things that they have you do is they have you, um, go and talk to a caseworker who basically looks into 
15 different data points on you, where you grew up, how, you know, did you live in a one parent home or a two parent home? Do you have decent community support? Do you um, have education and see, you know, they make a whole profile of you and, and give it to the judge. And they're the one who really makes these, these recommendations. And the one line that when I finally got a chance to read my, my report um, that stood out to me uh, was that I seem like a nice, very well-educated girl with a chip on her shoulder who wants to blame the system for her problems. So with this pre-sensing report, and I've had other guests talk about this before, and I know that um, for a a lot of federal crimes and maybe even um, crimes that aren't federal, people will hire prison consultants and they'll bring them on to help with I guess you, you can get this report changed too, if if depending if you do it in the right time frame. I, I mean, if if we could, then that was something that I was unfortunately unaware of. A lot of it was. Um, I know a lot more about it now than I did at the time, and that's something that really concerns me. Is that in this whole situation, you know, I, I paid for a lawyer. I paid for a private lawyer, um, and everyone involved in it, the the prosecutors. Um, the judge, nobody puts forth effort to make sure that you know what your rights are or what you should do. They just want it to be done quickly and they want to have something to show for it. Um, one of the one of the things that really stuck out about my case was that the reason that I got arrested was the person that I gave Adderall to had gotten arrested. Mm-hmm. So they got arrested because they were selling weed (laughs) and the prosecutor had told them, well, if you will give us somebody who's selling pills, then we'll drop your charges. And that's what he did. So he gave them me in order to have his charges dropped. And I, I did look that case up later and his charges were dropped the day after I was convicted. So did Um, they, propose something similar to you? Did they offer if you gave them someone else that they did their, their offer was, uh, do you have anybody who sells Oxycontin? And they, they've made it very clear multiple times. They're like, we're not interested in weed, but if you can give us somebody who sells Oxycontin, then we can, we can talk, we can make a deal. But I didn't know anybody who sold Oxycontin. So, um, I was considered uncooperative. And that was another thing that went into my pre-sentencing report was that I was not cooperative with the investigation and helping to find bigger fish, basically. It's, it's just so incredible. So they're using, using students, using uh, young, young men and women, really extorting them, forcing them. I mean, if you're going to go find Oxycontin, I mean, if that's not something you're using, you're going in an unfamiliar situation, uh, could be a dangerous situation to obtain Oxycontin and you're, sort of being forced to do it by the criminal justice system. Is it really incredible when you, when you think about it? Yeah. Well, and that was one of those things that, that when you're offered that you, you, in the panic, you're like, I don't know, maybe I can make this work. And I remember talking to a couple of people and I remember coming up with somebody had given me a name of like, well, you have to give them a name. This is a name of somebody who you can give them not feel guilty about. And I, I never did that, but you know, it, it's in retrospect, it's amazing to see like, what you can, what links you'll go to when you're trying to, um, when you're trying to comply and you're trying to save yourself. Yeah, I, I can't remember the story, but I remember hearing about a story several years ago, similar situation to this, where 
a, uh, a young woman was, I don't know if it was selling pills or, or selling marijuana or something, but she was caught up in the same situation as you. And the cops had said, you got to find someone who sells, you know, X drug, whatever it is. I can't remember. And she ended up trying to find it and trying to find someone who sold it, ended up getting killed. Of course, the the police, the prosecutors, they just throw their hands up in the air like, oh, I, I don't know how this happened. But it's, it's just sickening, sickening when you think this stuff through. And 90% of the people in the United States have no freaking idea that this stuff goes on. But it is, it's very common. So, Sarah, you're going through this trial. They give you this offer. You, it's not going to happen. You're not going to find anyone that sells uh, Oxycontin. What, what happens with the trial? What, when do you well, we uh, find trial. out you got convicted? We didn't go to trial. Um, oh, you took a, so you did a guilty plea? Yeah, I took a plea deal be- because what was, what was repeatedly emphasized to me by my lawyer, um, by everybody, by, by the DA as well, was um, that my charges were, there were two charges. There was possession with the intent to distribute and possession with the intent to distribute on school grounds. And I was a nanny and I was studying um, human growth and development. I was working on a getting a research. I actually think I was working at a research assistantship in an elementary school at the time. And all of that to me was just so overwhelming to think of not being able to work with children anymore. Sorry. No, it's okay. So the deal that I was offered was we'll drop that charge and we will amend the um, possession with the intent to distribute charge to say possession of the intent to distribute a Schedule II substance instead of Adderall because then then the court was okay with allowing me to keep my prescription, which I just find hilarious. So that's what I decided to do. And when, when you decided to accept that plea deal, did you know at that point in time you'll be doing jail time? I didn't. Um, I was still told that, you know, there's there's a really good chance that you'll just get probation or community service, maybe a fine. But what I went ahead and did was at the time um, within this process, so it took about it took about a year from arrest to um, sentencing. And during that year, um, I had broken up with my boyfriend after having moved to North Carolina from Virginia, which I like triple, quadruple checked and made sure it was okay that I could still move, even though I was having pending charges. And I had managed to still, with pending charges, get a job working retail and get a job as a live-in nanny. How, How did that work? So did they, especially for the retail one, did they ask you about it on your application or what, what happened there? So they did, but I'm, I'm a very studious person. So um, I quickly had found out. Actually, no, I think, I think for the retail, I don't think Aeropostale asks. I think, it, I think they just didn't have that box. Yes, if I remember correctly, I went around and I checked. I had gotten the nanny job first. And the um, it was a live-in nanny job for part-time hours, and they lived right next to a shopping center. And I could go over to it was like a little strip mall, and I could go and find a part-time job there, so I could make money at the same, make a little bit more money at the same time. 
And I went to every store and I got an application and I applied to all of the ones that did not have a box. And I'm sure your listeners are familiar with a box, which is the, have you ever been arrested or convicted of any crime? Uh, but they don't all have that. So you find the ones that don't and that's where you apply because I've never had a problem getting a job if I can get an interview. And that's the thing that'll stop you from getting an interview. So you're obviously familiar with the, the ban the box movement and um, a lot of states, at least in the, uh, the public sector, government jobs have taken that on. But my uh, co- co-founder here at Lions of Liberty, one of these past episodes, we were talking through this topic and he came up with the, it, should, it shouldn't be ban the box, it should be expand the box. So you have enough time enough space to uh, to share your story or you know this is 2018 um submit a video talking about your your past and and explain exactly what happened so i don't know if it's necessarily because at the end of the day you want to be able to be heard and explain yourself and the person to be able to look you in the eye and get to know you as a person who's not a who's not someone who's going to steal from them or rob from them or, or do something like that well i would say yes and no so I would I would say yes, having worked in retail and knowing that sometimes, you know, you need some sort of just screening mechanism. But I would say no, having worked as a nanny and continued to work as a nanny, because in a lot of situations, we're pretending like this is something that is more relevant than it is. Because if what if what we're saying is even though you have served your time, yes, you may have had a conviction for something, but if it's not important enough to me to include some sort of background check as part of in my offer for employment, then for most people, it doesn't really matter. And it's just kind of a superfluous thing that we automatically put there. And you're forcing people to say, you're never allowed to just move past this thing. You're always going to have to proactively explain yourself and you're going to carry it with you forever. Guys, let's take a quick moment to hear from our sponsor for today's show. Of course, today's show is sponsored by RDAP Dan, Prison Consultants. And as I've documented many times on this show, sometimes, in fact, often, most of the time, even good people go to prison. And facing a federal case is an extremely stressful time. If you're facing this reality, then you need to contact Dan Wise, also known as RDAP Dan. RDAP Dan on YouTube. He has a great YouTube channel. Check that out. Dan and his team of prison consultants, I promise you, they will reduce your stress levels immediately upon speaking with them. You can call Dan and his team at any time. He will give you and your loved ones open access to support and answers. Now, Dan and his team will assist you with the following aspects of the process. Narrative letters to the judge, character reference letters, RDAP qualifications, prison designation, online reputation management, mindset coaching, and additional halfway house time. Don't sleep on this one, guys. You can find out more and schedule a free consultation with Dan and his team by visiting lionsofliberty.com slash RDAP. That's lionsofliberty.com slash R-D-A-P. And also on that page, I will have links and one of Dan's YouTube videos on that page. You can check it out. Dan has an outstanding YouTube channel with tons of information on the prison system. So I really encourage you to check that out. We can talk more about that maybe once we get to the end, because um, I mean that that this topic, um, ban the box, just, just really the 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 stigma of felonies, especially as it's related to getting uh, 
um, home ownership or getting or renting a place or just getting a roof over your head. That and employment, I think from the people I talk with are the two biggest issues. Maybe we'll come back to that at the end. But I want to make sure to give you a chance to talk about your experience in in jail. And if you could just share what was that like? Was it, I mean, I'm sure you had an expectation going in, um, what you thought it might be like, what you expected. Um, did it surprise you? Was it what you expected? Was it worse? Was it better? Jail was um, both horrible and uh, fascinating at the same time. Once kind of you had enough time to adjust the situation. So I ended up going to jail in total three different times because um, the court really liked to find some reason to go, well, um, you didn't tell us that you did this, so we're going to put you in jail and you have to pay another bond. So I did three days one time and then the one day that I was arrested and then I did four months after that. So my sentence was five years with four years and eight months suspended. And in Virginia, for felonies, you do 87% of your time because it just apparently needs to be complicated. Uh, so they don't have any more like probation or parole board in Virginia. They just automatically go, if you, it's a misdemeanor, then you only serve half of your time. And if it's a felony, then you serve 87%. And that's that's just their, their equation. So, so the 87%... That took you through your probation, probationary period? Is that what you're saying? Um, no. So so that since I was sentenced to four months in jail, but I didn't Oh, I thought you said four exactly, years. Okay, I got you. Well, I was, that's, that's I was sentenced to five years, but with four years and eight months of it suspended, okay. which means that you don't serve that time unless they want you to for like you, if you screw up, then they can make you serve that time. Right. Gotcha. So I did like... I did just under four months. At first, the biggest thing was, as I had said before, I was um, dealing with a lot of like depression and anxiety issues. So the first was trying to just make sure that my medication was handled. So after the after the um, first time where they were just like, well, we're not going to give you anything, I, I made sure to look into the laws and um, printed them out and carried them with me. And they the laws say that if you are arrested for any reason, if you have your medicine on you and it is um, it, it is a valid prescription for you, you get 10 days of your medical supply. And by the end of that 10 days, they're supposed to have their own doctor check you out and decide if you really need to be prescribed this. But that's the law in Virginia. So I made sure to carry the, the prescriptions in the bottles because that's what, that's what they got me on for. The reason they said it was intent to distribute was I had one week's supply of my own medicine. You know how you have like the little daily uh, sorters but since it wasn't in its bottle, um, it, the quantity was enough in Virginia to say, well, you have a sufficient quantity for us to assume that you have an intention to distribute. And it wasn't in my bottle, so they went, well, we can't prove that it's yours. So if you had had it in your bottle, then they couldn't have arrested you, unless they'd seen you. I mean, at least it would have been harder, but yes, as, unless they had seen me actually make a transaction. Actually, I want to, if I can just backtrack way to the beginning of the story, when you were arrested, you said the, the officer, so we found out that um, this guy got his charges dropped in order to produce you and or produce someone selling pills. Was the officer like just standing right there when it happened? Or did he like jump out from behind a wall and say, I, I got you? Or like, how did, what happened there? I was waiting at a specific location to, to meet the cheerleader. Um, and he never showed up and instead a cop did. He just kind of like walked around out of the corner from the uh, parking lot, just just like anybody else would. 
just walking through the campus. And just said you're you're under arrest, and because yeah, he, because you had your pills he, not in your prescription bottle, uh, that was enough. That is crazy. Wow, unbelievable. After getting out of prison, so you spent how how long on probation? Then after that, when I was sentenced, I very clearly remember him saying two years. But the when the paperwork came out, it came out to one year. So I spent one year on probation uh, in North Carolina, uh, which required uh, navigating an interstate compact transfer agreement. It was a whole other fun thing. But what, um, what I was does that able- mean? Um, that means I had to prove that they had a reason to send me back down to North Carolina um, because I was convicted in Virginia. I had to prove that I had family that was willing to basically take me in in North Carolina or that I had already secured like employment, um, which is very difficult to do from jail. But I was able to um, get that transfer paperwork put through. Uh, sometimes if they if you're not able to get that put through the then legally you have to stay in the state until your probation officer can get your paperwork done in order to transfer your probation to a different state. They don't make it easy on you. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, it's, it, it's definitely motivated me to learn more about it and to try and make it easier for other people to navigate it, which right. is still not a great thing, but. <laughs> so w- with this, uh, you still have this violent felony, as, as you said, on your record. What other impacts have, have you seen in your life from having to you know, carry around the stigma of, of being a felon? Um, well, being that I do work in childcare, I have pretty much had to discuss it every single time that I need to get a job. And I've gotten, I've gotten a lot better at disclosing it now. And I've also come to the conclusion that I don't want to work for a family that wouldn't want to hire me after hearing my story. I was going to say that's it's interesting you say that you got better at at disclosing it. So like what what did you learn? Like what what uh what kind of tactics were or what did you change in how you disclose it? Um well a lot of it is is getting over the anxiety because it is it is a lot of anxiety that goes with the disclosing something that people are very comfortable making broad judgments about. So it's I mean it's not necessarily a lucky thing, but I'll say luckily it's it's so common now that I haven't encountered someone in a while that doesn't know somebody else that has been to jail at some point. Mm-hmm. And how I, many people, or what percentage of people that you do disclose this story to, just just can't believe it? I mean, just say, "Holy crap! Are you kidding me?" Oh, I, at least I more than half are just flabbergasted that like, how does, how does it play out that way? Like, that's ridiculous. Um, I mean, since I, since I deal with a lot of libertarians when I'm just closing to them, they're generally less surprised, but, um, particularly, uh, with families that I'm interviewing with, they're often just amazed because by the time that I've gotten to that point in the interview where I will disclose it, that's one of the things that I learned is get is do everything that you can to get to the interview. Do not lie. But do not, don't give the information unless it's asked. And, and that's, that's a thing that was very difficult to do because I'm, I've, I am a proactive sharer. <laughs> but I had to learn that this is something that people will judge you over. So you can't be honest about it. You have to wait until the issue is forced. 
So usually you'd wait until the end of the interview, at which point they'll say, okay, well, then you're wonderful, you're amazing, you're great. Because I've at that point showed them all of my credentials and they've seen my glowing recommendations from families that I've helped raise their children. And they say, we just have to do a background check. And I say, that is perfectly fine. Let me tell you what you're going to find. And then I go into explaining to them that when I was 18 and I was in college, I gave a cheerleader Adderall. And for that, which was a crime, and I acknowledge as a crime, I went to jail for four months. And that is what they will find if you do a background check. And at that point, usually they have a somewhat between like shocked and blank face and just says like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> but, um, you know, they, they take a minute to, to process it. And, and generally I do get a positive response because I've, I've come to learn that because I do come off very well for what I do, you know, I'm a nanny. I'm very good at being trustworthy and warm and kind. It, it helps to kind of break that stereotype in a very real way in people's heads is that I am being forthright and telling them I am a felon. Not only that, but according to Virginia, I am a violent felon because I gave a cheerleader Adderall in college. And that's something you're going to need to know about me. So the violent part is because it was on school grounds? Is that where? The violent part is because it's drugs. <laughs> so in Virginia, anything involving drugs is inherently violent. Wow. Uh, and therefore, it is a violent crime. Unreal. Um, Virginia has a lot of fun laws. <laughs> like also anything having to do with drugs or alcohol, any offense, uh, if you're convicted, then uh, you lose your license for six months. Doesn't have to have had anything to do with the car, but if you are convicted of anything having to do with alcohol or drugs, you lose your license for six months. I think Pennsylvania has a similar lot of that, which I think Pennsylvania is probably, that's that's my home state, is probably as bad as Virginia uh, when, when it comes to, to drug laws and, and uh, pre-crime laws and things of that nature. But I want to ask you, just, you mentioned that you uh, spend time with a lot, of, a lot of libertarians. I know you're you're active in the libertarian community down there in North Carolina. So can you just uh, share with us what attracted you to the ideas of liberty? Were you a libertarian before this stuff happened? Did this start to, you know, like that fire in you? Well, before, um, before going to jail, I had just kind of started getting into politics. And I was initially a Ron Paul Republican when I was 18. It was 2012. Um, I was able to vote in the Republican primary in Virginia, but uh, I lost my voting rights before I could vote in the general election that year. So I didn't vote in that election. Um, but after getting out of jail was where, you know, criminal justice reform became a very personal issue, obviously. Um, and when I got into looking into politics again, uh, actually only a couple of years ago, because I had to go through the process of um, coming down to North Carolina. And in North Carolina, you can vote again as soon as you're off of probation. So you can still be a felon, but you have your voting rights back as long as you're done with your sentence. If I lived in Virginia, then I wouldn't have had my voting rights back until I got them restored by the governor, which I did a couple of months ago. And I have the nice shiny paper with the official seal and everything. <laughs> so if I did want to move back to Virginia, I could still be a full citizen. Um, so when I got into looking at the presidential election this past 
uh, year, I really got involved in the state. But I, just looking at the different platforms to start, I came to conclude that the Libertarian Party was the only one who really cared at all about drug reform in a serious way. Uh, they were the only ones who were looking at this as a problem of like, this is this is the government doing violence on its own people, and that's not okay. And the other parties gave a lot of lip service to it. They they like to talk about how terrible it was. The you know the Republicans like to talk about that you know we're not necessarily need to be hard on the the drug addicts, but we really 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 need to be draw hard on the dealers. You know now I'm like okay, but you're talking about people like me. Uh, and then on the Democratic side, it seemed like there was a lot of talk about let's make things better and not a lot of action. Um, so I decided if I was going to get involved in politics, then I wanted to work with a party that actually worked towards reforming drug laws. And that seemed to be an issue that the Libertarian Party, um, even when it was just down to lobbying efforts, it really had an impact on. They really showed people that that third way of, hey, we could just not criminalize this issue. And I thought that was very important. Yeah, I mean, 100%. You know, the the reason I started this show is to expose the insanity of really the drug laws we have in this country. And the reason that just recently I've gotten involved in local libertarian pol- politics here is to, is to help to try to push that forward at the grassroots level. So I think... I mean, there's, there's lots of ways to do it, um, but I think unless we're working um, using all avenues, podcasts, videos, but also going out, meeting people, shaking hands, holding events, and you know, sharing sharing our stories, sharing stories like uh, like what you've experienced w- with people. Um, when people can start to put a face to um, these drug laws, a face to the you know, seeing the impacts that are happening in people's lives. Um, I think that's the only way we change this system. And we will change this system. I think it's going to take some time. Obviously, marijuana is ahead of everything else because the state wants to grab those tax dollars. But things are, especially in Pennsylvania, and I'm not sure how bad it is down there in North Carolina, but the opioid epidemic up here, the heroin, the heroin epidemic, is it's, it's devastating. It is... It's it's horrible, and it's 100% root cause is in the prohibition of drugs, is in the drug laws that we have. So mm-hmm. the only way we're going to change that and get people help so you know addicts can get off of heroin and get on with their lives, it's not going to help throwing them in a cage. It's not going to help throwing dealers in a cage. That's why we have uh, violence in drug laws. That's why Virginia has their misguided uh, violent mm-hmm. felony. That's why they attach that label there because the violence comes because of the prohibition. But exactly. Anyway, I'm <laughs> I'm on a rant. It's a good soapbox to be on. It's okay. <laughs> but uh, Sarah, you know, I want to thank you so much for for coming on the show. I'm sure this is not an easy topic for you to talk about. You know, I know it's it's been a very probably difficult part of your life. But I just wanted to say, uh, you know, it's it's great that you are out there working in in the uh, Libertarian Party. You're out there talking about this, and you're you're working for change. Um, I just want to give you a chance to, you know, plug anything that you're working on, or plug the Libertarian Party, or, or uh, you you have the floor. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, then I'll just say, uh, if you want to hear more uh, about North Carolina politics or North Carolina, or just hear more from me. 
Um, please check out the North Carolina Libertarian Party's podcast, which is Speaking of Liberty. Um, comes out every other week. Uh, it can be found on all of your favorite podcasting networks. And if you're in North Carolina and if you really care about drug reform, please reach out to lpnc.org and join up with us. You know, I, I think the most important thing I've gotten out of this whole terrible experience is I'm somebody that people can look at and think you're a decent person and then be amazed to find out that I'm also a violent felon. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story, Sarah. Well, thank you for having me. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed another episode of felony Friday. Um, you know, these stories just keep getting crazier and crazier and, you know, I know it's been a little while you know, since I've done an episode where we've done our played our game. Is it a crime? And should they do time? You know, it's just I have so many great guests to talk to, and so many stories that need to need to be shared, need to get sunlight on them. And Sarah Brady Wagner is definitely one of those stories. You know, we had this is just ridiculous that it happened. I mean, and she maintains a great attitude about it and keeps pushing on through her life, but. It's just nuts that you can end up spending time in jail for not even not even selling um, selling a prescription drug, just having it on you and not in your prescription bottle. That is freaking insane. That's nuts. And anyone who agrees with that and think that's a good idea and thinks that that's a good idea is nuts. So if you want to if you want to play a quick version of is this a crime and should they do time, I'll play it right now. Talking about Sarah's case. No, it's not a crime, and she shouldn't have done any time at all. And there never should be, there shouldn't be government stings set up to catch people doing this. We should end the war on drugs altogether. I mean, the only reason that we have violence associated with the war on drugs is because it's a prohibition. And you saw what the police tried to do with Sarah. They tried to get her to go out and implicate someone else, putting herself in a more dangerous situation. It's, it's just crazy, and it's nuts, and it needs to stop. And the only way we're going to stop this, guys, the only way we're going to stop the war on drugs is by educating people, by talking to your neighbors, by sharing stories like this, by putting a face, by putting a story, by putting a voice behind injustice like this. That's the only way we're going to do it. We're not going to do it by, you know, posting on people's Facebook uh, statuses and, you know, calling them jerks or saying they're stupid. That doesn't work. You got to share a human experience. So share this podcast. Share every episode of Felony Friday. Share your favorite episode of Felony Friday where you think the greatest injustice has happened and reach out to someone and share it with them individually. Also, it's great to you know, share it on your wall too. But, you know, if there's been someone you've been talking to trying to just uh, dent through that that outer shell, that outer status shell that people hold, both on the left and the right in defense of aspects of the war on drugs, use a story like this to break that shell. That's the reason I do this show, guys. So please reach out. And I just want to say it's awesome that Sarah has the courage to to share this story and uh, and help others. And I think it's I think it's great. And that's why I keep bringing on guests like this, because I keep coming across great people who have had terrible injustice done to them by our system. So I'm going to continue to do it. I don't know when the next time is going to be that I'll do a felony review type episode, but could be in two weeks, could be in two months, could be in six months. I, I have no idea. But anyway, guys, I'll keep this real brief. 
The Lions of Liberty Pride, if you don't know, now you know, we are over $1,000 per month. We're over 100 Pride members, so give yourself a round of applause. That's fantastic. Thank you guys for the support. We are going to Porkfest, and we're excited, man. We're excited. The podcast is growing. Eventually, we're going to start doing more ads. Uh, We're going to go to more libertarian events. I will be at the Libertarian National Convention. Hopefully, Mark will be there too. We're working on the the, uh, logistics. We'll see. I would like to get at least one other uh, lion there. I don't think Brian can make it. Maybe I can, if Mark can't make it, maybe I can convince uh, Rico or Howie or JB to come. Or maybe all three. I don't know. Maybe we'll have a little party without Mark and Brian. We'll see. But guys, to join the Pride, to get in on the fun, to because we're going to keep growing. We're going to get to 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000. We're going to get to 100, 200, 1,000 members, 10,000 members. We're going to get there. It's going to happen. It just is. The way to join the Pride is by going to lionsofliberty.com slash support. Our lowest level is $5. At the $5 level, you get the bonus content that we do, which we do a lot of bonus content. I will venture to say I don't think there's a podcast out there there's definitely not another libertarian podcast that does the amount of bonus content that we put out. Um, sometimes as many as three or four bonus episodes per week. So that's the lowest level to get in. You get the secret Facebook group too. If you want to join for a little bit more, you want to up the, up the ante. There's a $10 level. There's a $15 level, 25 then all the way to 100 We have one more slot, one more slot available at 100 per month. And I'll just, I'm not going to talk about every level. I will just say, We've had a lot of people joining at 15. Um, 15 is where we have a uh, Monday through Friday news link email where, where Howie Snowden curates emails about uh, politics, criminal justice, culture, foreign policy, cryptocurrency, just mainstream news too. And I don't know how he finds time to do it. And we categorize all this stuff together and send it out every Monday through Friday. People are really enjoying it and they're kind of blown away by the amount of news that that we're able to gather. But that's a popular level. Of course, our $25 level. And oh, at that $15 level, you do get when you join, you get a t-shirt from our Lions of Liberty store. You can check them out at lionsofliberty.store. You also get a koozie and access to the Facebook group, the bonus content. At 25, you get all that stuff, but you also get a monthly conference call with, with us, which we just had. We just had... I'm recording this on Thursday night. This publishes on Friday, so we just had tonight. Great call. I think the biggest, the uh, highest number of people we've had, we've had on the call. We were, we try to you know schedule for a time when as many people can get on. Sometimes we have two calls depending, but we we had a great group. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, it's a growing group, and eventually we're definitely going to have to go to two calls all the time because it'll just get too freaking crazy, and we'll probably have to go away from Skype eventually because Skype. Skype has issues. If you've uh, if you're in the pride and you've listened to us rant about Skype, you know that we have issues with the Skype monsters. But anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening. That's all I got for today. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning. <laughs>